Beloveds, welcome back to The Word is Resistance, the podcast where we're exploring what our Christian sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, even thriving in the context of empire, tyranny, violence, and repression, the times in which we are living today. What do our sacred stories have to teach us as white folks about our role in resistance, in showing up, and in liberation? We are building up a new world. It's a perfect sentiment for Advent, especially with our Luke texts. And this version of Dr. Vincent Harding's song for the freedom movement is a live recording of a group called No Enemies, a multiracial group of activists and musicians here in Denver, Colorado, who came together for movement choir practice to bring singing back into direct actions and other movement spaces. This particular choir practice is from December 2014, being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use the song for this podcast. I'm Reverend Ann Dunlap, back with you today. I'm a UCC pastor in the place currently called Denver, Colorado, here on Cheyenne and Arapaho land, and the faith coordinator for Showing Up for Racial Justice, or SURGE, nationally. This podcast is a project of Surge Faith and is particularly designed for white people. White people talking to other white people about race and white supremacy. We believe white people like us, like me, have a responsibility to commit ourselves to resisting white supremacy, to speaking up and showing up and disrupting white supremacy where we find it, including in our own Christian tradition. We'd love to hear from you, and especially from folks of color, about how we're doing. The word is resistance. In just a few days, we'll celebrate the longest night, the deep gift of darkness enveloping the northern hemisphere, inviting us into the kind of underground, hidden, fallow restfulness that allows us to dream revolutionary dreams. That is not the Christmas of capitalism, of course, which keeps trying to sell us 1,250 ways to keep all the lights on so that we can buy without ceasing. And it's not exactly the Christmas of the lectionary either, four weeks in after everything has fallen apart, and John the Baptist has not only called people back to faith, but also called them to act upon that faith by giving up oppressive behaviors, by giving up their role in Rome's violent machine. And he also calls them a brood of vipers. So, necessary, perhaps, but not exactly the rest of seeds nestled in dark earth and wombs. Every year I get more weary of the capitalist Christmas. I don't know about you. But I long more and more for shadow, for darkness, for quiet and stillness and deep rest and expectant dreams that come the new year feel like could burst to new life. I wonder if Mary's song, the Magnificat, we call it, came from a place of deep, restful dreaming like that. Expectant, wakeful, watchful dreaming. Dreaming up a new world surrounded by the rubble of the old. Here is what Mary sings. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for she has looked with favor on the lowliness of her servant. 
Surely from now on generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is her name. Her mercy is for those who are in awe of her from generation to generation. She has shown strength with her arm. She has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. She has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. She has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. She has helped her servant Israel in remembrance of her mercy according to the promise she made to our ancestors, to Abraham and Sarah and to their descendants forever. Her name is Jacqueline. Her name is Jacqueline Amey Rosemary Kal Makin. Jacqueline Amey Rosemary Kal Makin. She was Kekchi Maya from a tiny village in the department of Alta Verapaz, Guatemala. She was seven years old when she died in the custody of U.S. Border Patrol last week. Her name is Jacqueline Amey Rosemary Cal Makin. The details are conflictual. Her father, who speaks Kekchi, not much Spanish, and English not at all, swears that she had eaten and had enough water. Border Patrol swears they are not at fault, that she was in good health, even though they also claim she hadn't eaten or had water for days. The U.S. government swears it's the father's fault for bringing Jacqueline to the U.S. to ask for asylum in the first place. But what we know is that a seven-year-old girl is dead, becoming ill and dying after coming under the supposed care of the U.S. Border Patrol, and her name is Jacqueline Amey Rosemary Cal Makin. She was seven years old. I can't think about the Magnificat this week without thinking about Jacqueline. I can't think about Mary, young, pregnant with a child about to be born into a violent death machine of a society. I can't think about Mary without thinking about Jacqueline without thinking about the children tear-gassed in Tijuana a few short weeks ago, without thinking about the thousands of children being held in a prison tent camp in Tornillo, Texas, stolen from their families and held in horrible conditions, without thinking about the Yeleras, where people, adults and children alike, are taken into custody by Border Patrol, ICE, and for-profit detention centers. Yelera means icebox in Spanish. And it's not a play on words. 
It's a literal description of the freezing cold holding cells where people, including children, are kept. Yeleras, where food and clean water are sparse, where medical attention is denied, where blankets are minimal. I learned about Yeleras from talking to people detained in the GEO immigrant detention facility here in Aurora, Colorado, and the Yeleras are everywhere. The pictures you see of children sleeping on the floor with just metallic blankets, they're being held in Yeleras. It's a tactic of torture, of punishment, to keep people, children, perpetually cold. They inevitably get sick with coughs and fevers, and again, questionable medical attention, if they get any at all. Jacqueline was seven years old. She might have been held in a yelera. I can't think about the Magnificat, Mother Mary with her hands on her belly, without thinking about Jacqueline and tear gas and tornillo, and yeleras, and how this country treats its children. How white supremacy demands the sacrifice of children. It has always been this way with white supremacy. Literal genocide of indigenous peoples, including the massacres of children. Indigenous children sent to boarding schools where their culture was a set of practices and relationships to be punished, to be stripped from them, alienating them from their families as a form of cultural genocide. Enslavers sold children and parents away from one another in a cold calculus of profit management. Children have labored in factories and fields even to this day. Japanese children grew up in internment camps. Poor and working-class white children have been taken away from their families in a way middle- and upper-class white families will never experience. And how many children of all races and classes must die before we give up our addiction to guns? When white supremacy feels threatened, when it needs land and labor and a target to perpetuate itself, it will go after the children. It goes after the children and then blames them for their own suffering, their own deaths, blames them for speaking their own language, for not being white enough, for being foreign, for seeking safety from violence and hunger, for playing with a toy in a park, for walking down the wrong side of the street, for whistling. Jacqueline was seven years old, and she is being blamed for her own death. If only they wouldn't come here, this wouldn't happen, they say. Victim blaming at its best. Pilot washing his hands before executing Mary's boy. That is how it's always been with white supremacy. White supremacy demands, requires, exists because of the sacrifice of children, especially children of color. Not an accident, not an occasional aberration, but on purpose, intentional. Her name 
is Jacqueline Ame Rosemary Kalmakin. She was seven years old. magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for she has looked with favor on the lowliness of her servant surely from now on all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is her name her mercy is for those who are in awe of her from generation to generation. She has shown strength with her arm. She has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. She has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. She has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. She has helped her servant Israel in remembrance of her mercy, according to the promise she made to our ancestors, to Abraham and Sarah, and to their descendants forever. My deepest motivation for the work that I do, the deepest down-in-the-gut reason that I have been in this movement work for over 30 years now, is this. Children should always be safe. When I sink into my body, my hands on my belly, and I'm asked why I do this, that's my answer. Children should always be safe. I don't have children of my own, but I know something of what it is like to feel unsafe as a child and to discover authority figures will fail you. I know that, down in my gut, pulsing under my hands on my belly. I am fierce for that child that I was and fierce for the children in my life. Children should always be safe, safe and loved and cherished. And of course that means in families, but it also means in community too, in society, safe and loved and cherished in the ways we go about structuring our society. What does it mean that we have structured a society that sacrifices its children in order to exist? And I wonder what it means at this time of year when there is so much emphasis on children in our churches and in popular culture, the wide-eyed innocence of children, I wonder what it means at this time of year that in our churches we celebrate Mary's baby boy with pageants and lullabies and greenery and triumphant hymns while our children are not safe, while the system of white supremacy goes on devouring them. How do we hear the Magnificat, hands on our bellies, knowing that Jacqueline is dead? 
What do we think Mother Mary is singing about? For many years now, I've been imagining the Magnificat as Mary's revolutionary lullaby, sung fiercely and tenderly into the ear of her baby boy Jesus. I've said Jesus learned it from her, how to be a revolutionary, how the world needed to be brought down and built back up again, how to be faithful and be committed to a vision of a just and whole community. She taught him that. She raised him up in that vision, singing it into his ear, whispering it into her own belly. I still think that's true. This year, I'm thinking about more than that. It's Matthew's gospel that depicts the slaughter of the innocents, Herod's massacre of children in an attempt to wipe out Jesus. That's Matthew's gospel, not Luke's. But Luke has his own way of letting us know the times Jesus was born into were a terror for adults and children alike. Part of how he does that is naming the political context over and over right from the beginning. He names names that would have provoked a visceral response for their violence, both across the Roman Empire as well as in Roman-controlled Palestine. Herod, Caesar, Quirinius, Pontius Pilate. Another way he does that is through Mary's magnificent outcry of justice. You don't celebrate the powerful being brought down if everything is just fine in the empire. What Mary has said yes to, what Mary is celebrating being born through her, is that vision, that divine promise of an overturned world. As one of my favorite settings of the Magnificat says, My heart shall sing of the day you bring. Let the fires of your justice burn. Wipe away all tears, for the dawn draws near, and the world is about to turn. Mary names some really specific ways that world is going to be turned. She has shown strength with her arm. A strength not of weapons, but of outstretched arms. She has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. The proudly arrogant who lord it over others are scattered, undoing their systemic power. She has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. Hierarchies are taken apart to favor power as being shared amongst all, centering the marginalized. And she has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Everyone has what they need because wealth and necessities have been redistributed fairly. And Mary declares all this the divine's promise, that God promises to remember God's beloveds from generation to generation, past, present, and future. That's the vision Mary says yes to, the vision she believes will be fulfilled in the life of her child. And I'm thinking it is something else, too. You cannot convince me Mary didn't know what kind of a world she was bringing her child into, that she didn't know what he would face. The Magnificat actually makes that clear. 
The world as it was was the arrogant high and mighty on their thrones eating their fill while the marginalized go hungry. And we know anyone who challenged that system was a target of Rome's wrath. I wonder if that's why Mary goes to Elizabeth, another woman unusually pregnant, also told by Gabriel her baby boy would challenge the world as it was. They understand each other. They understand what each is bearing and the risk of sending that embodied and fleshed vision out into a world that would try to destroy them. So I am wondering if the Magnificat is not only a declaration of the world as it will be when the divine turns it around through Jesus, but also a plea for how the world needs to be, needs to be for her baby boy to be safe. Both things can be true at once, that Mother Mary can sing a revolutionary song and also worry that her son will not be safe. She has shown strength with her arms. She has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. She has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. She has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. This is what the world needs to be for her child to be safe. What God has promised the generations and she is claiming that promise now for her baby boy to be safe, hands on her belly, leaning into her cousin Elizabeth. Maybe they even sing it together. Maybe the triumph has some anguish in it because you can't convince me Mary didn't know. She has shown strength with her arm. She has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. She has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. She has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Mary knew what it would take to make the world safe for children. I wonder if this is why we still remember her while we cry out to Mother Mary in all of her incarnations, pray for us now, pray for us now, pray for us now. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us now and in the hour of our death. Her name is Jacqueline Ame Rosemary Cal Makin. She was seven years old. She has shown strength with her arm. She has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. She has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. She has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. We know what it will take to keep all of our children safe. And all the children are all our children. 
What is our commitment to make that happen in real, material ways? Right now, you can urge Congress to investigate Jacqueline's death. U.S. Border Patrol kills with impunity, so this could also be an opportunity to lay bare how violent our border enforcement is. The link uh, can be found on the Facebook and Twitter pages of Families Belong Together, and I'll also put it in the transcript. If you weren't aware of Jacqueline's story or of how children are treated in ICE custody, check out Latino Rebels, and also check out the investigative journalist Aura Bogado. Aura Bogado has been investigating ICE for years, particularly the treatment of children. She can be found on Twitter and at revealnews.org. In these last days of Advent, meditate on the Magnificat and what the world-turning vision there says to us as white folks about what it will take to keep all our children safe. What laws, practices, systems would have to change for there to be no more deaths and tear gassing of children at the border. As you ponder in your heart Jesus being born into such a world as this, name for yourself, name together in community, how you will do your part to turn the world around. Thanks as always for joining me from wherever you are on this good earth. Let us know how your action goes. We'd love to hear from you by commenting on our SoundCloud or Facebook pages. And I'll be back in a few days with a resistance word for Christmas. You can find out more about Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org and our podcast lives at SoundCloud. Search on The Word is Resistance. You can interact with us there too if you have questions or need help with action ideas. Transcripts are available as well on our website, which includes the full text, references, credits, and copyright information. Finally, a huge thanks as always to our sound editor this week, Maxwell Pearl. You're so fabulous, Maxwell. Advent blessings to you in all that you do to resist injustice and in all that you do to build up a new world. Love and liberation, beloveds. Love and liberation. Until next time, I'm Reverend Ann Dunlap. Thank you so much.